So friends, let's not fool ourselves about why we're here. We are not here to be part of some special club or to feel good about our religious liberalism or to pat ourselves on the back for our work in the world. Let's not fool ourselves. We are here with the hope of transforming the world and changing our lives. We're here to grow deep roots, to grow our souls, as the Reverend Jen said last week in her sermon. We're here to develop spiritual tools, spiritual practices that help us pay attention to the spirit of love moving in our lives. We're here to become ultimately more effective vessels for that deep and abiding love, transformed and then able to transform the world. Maybe when you rolled out of bed this Sunday morning, you didn't think of it that way about why you were coming here, but isn't that true on some level? Isn't that true? Isn't that the current that pulled you in here, the stream that brought you into this place? Aren't you, aren't we all hungry for a different world, for a new world? Isn't it true that we come into this place this Sunday like we do most Sundays carrying pieces of the world with us. We, this week we carry images from the Navy Yard shooting from this shooting in Chicago and most recently the terror that struck the mall in Nairobi, Kenya. We come with that backdrop of violence and gun violence in this country. Those ones just caught the news but it happens all the time, every day. We come into this place thinking about Syria and their civil war and the complexities and challenges of that situation, wondering if these diplomatic efforts might prevail. We come into this space with our marriages stressed and stretched, perhaps even ending. We come into this place with loved ones sick or dying. We come into this place with grief as a constant companion. And we wonder, how can we live again with beauty and joy? And I know that many of you come into this place with great gratitude as well. You come into this place grateful that you have been sober for another day. Grateful that your marriage is legally recognized. Grateful for your job, your children, for this hour to sit and be, for this hour to sit and be. I know we come into this place carrying all of those things. We come into this place with a deep hunger, wanting to be reminded of those truths we have forgotten, wanting to know that a different and better world is possible for us and for others, wanting to know, to really know, that it is not foolish to live with hope. We come wanting to find ways to be aligned with that spirit of love. That is why we're here. That is why you are here. And today, I want to spend some time talking about digging into spiritual practice as a way to hold the joy and the grief, as a way to align our lives with that source greater than our own so that we don't break in this chaotic, suffering, difficult, and joyful world. 
You've probably heard Reverend Jen and I talk a lot about spiritual practice over the months and over the years. And I want to thank those of you in the congregation who have engaged me on that and said, hey, that's great. But, like, but, but I kind of leave the service sometimes wondering what the heck really is a spiritual practice and how do I do it? So I want to spend some time on that. I want to talk a little bit about that this morning. Simply put, and this is how a mentor explained it to me, simply put, at its heart, a spiritual practice is a practice that helps you pay attention in a particular way. It's about a quality of attention. It's about intentionally carving out time to sit, to reflect, to pray, to be with yourself and with the spirit of life. It is about carving out that space so that we can try, and we don't do it successfully, we don't, none of us, to disable the chatter of the monkey mind. Spiritual practice is about slowing down and being, and being with what comes up so you can feel it and discover where the spirit of love is moving in it. I don't know how many of you know the comedian Louis C.K.? Some of you? Okay, Louis C.K. is a comedian. Um, <laughs> and I love him. I, there, some of his stuff is really raunchy. I don't like it at all. But in general, he is, uh, he's amazing. He is spot on in his social commentary and his reflections about our culture. And he didn't use the word spiritual practice at all in this recent interview with Conan O'Brien. He did not talk about this in terms of faith or religion or spiritual practice. But there was this interview with Conan O'Brien just a couple of days ago. If you haven't seen it, Google it. Because Louis C.K. is talking about cell phones and apps and all this technology and how he doesn't want his kids to get into that yet and just being able to say no. And then he moves into adults and us on our phones and texting and Facebooking and all this kind of stuff. And he talks about, he gets really serious and he talks about driving down the road and seeing these other people in other cars next to him who like at stoplights and when the light's green and other places are like on their phones, texting, checking Facebook, doing a little status update. And his reflection on this is profound, and it resonates with me. He says, essentially, we are doing, thanks to this technology, everything possible in our power to keep the big wave of life, of feeling, from actually crashing over us and, and having that experience. We will do anything we can to stay busy so that that wave of feeling of our lives, of the grief we haven't articulated, or the anger, whatever it is, won't come down on us because he says in this interview that when you actually slow down for half a second and put the phone away, when you're hit with that, it is intense. It is powerful. It shakes you to your core because there is this deep existential question we all carry about our lives, about purpose, about grief. And when we sit in that place, it, is, it can be overwhelming. But he also says when that wave hits you, something profound happens because a current of hope also emerges and you come out of it a different person. I'm putting some words in Louis C.K.'s mouth, but that's the essence. <laughs> that is the essence of what he is saying. It is deeply, deeply true and deeply profound. I think the laughter, the knowing laughter about this, you know, being on our phones and distracting ourselves because a moment of stillness, a moment of busyness means all of those things in our lives, questions, relationships, like those actually come into our hearts and we have to sit with them. And it can be difficult to slow down to do that. So 
So a spiritual practice is a tool that can help us in the midst of everything going on in our lives to recognize that the spirit of love that God, if you will, is speaking and that we can actually learn to listen to that. Spiritual practice is about creating a space that helps us feel less fragmented, that grounds us in a nourishing source. Because spiritual practice involves slowing down, it is counter-cultural. It goes against a cultural, a culture that says, more, faster, now. More, faster, now, and look really good and be perfect while you're doing more, faster, now. So why this theme of digging in as we begin this church year together? Why this theme of digging in and really talking about spiritual practice? For me, as the spiritual leader of this faith community, the answer is really simple. We are at an incredible moment as a faith community. We are nearly 154 years old, and we've recently crossed the 1,000-member mark. We have incredible power and capacity in this church to be an instrument of positive change in our community. And we are living in a time when incredible opportunity and change is happening as well as devastating heartbreak and suffering. We live in the middle of that storm. Just a quick scan of the past years will tell you what I mean when I say we live right in the middle of that. On the joyful side of the equation is that marriage equality is the law in Minnesota and it's changing around the country and it's remarkable, happening so much faster than many of us thought. At the same time, there were significant setbacks in the voting rights this year as well. We live in the middle of that context. We live in the middle of climate change. It's not a debate anymore, it is happening. More extreme weather, storms. The opportunity is that we could live a sustainable life. We could let go of some of our consumptive patterns. We could make amends as a first world country for some of what we have done. The, the downside is that the people who had nothing to do with this will suffer the most. The terror of climate change is it could bring out the worst the worst in humanity as resources and walls and a hunkering down, I've got mine, attitude prevails. We have a role in that conversation as people of faith. We have a moral voice in that conversation. Again, the context we're in, on the heartbreaking side and the joyful side, we're at a place in the history of this country where something like affordable health care is a is close to being more accessible and more available to people than it's ever been before, which is remarkable that there are those in the nation's capital who seem willing to shut down the government unless this is defunded, the Affordable Care Act is defunded. We also live in a time where the ongoing pernicious and devastating impacts of racism are all around us if we open our eyes. The racial disparities in Minnesota around education and incarceration, employment and health, those are indicators that the power of racism remains strong despite good intentions and good people. That's the context, church, that we live in. There's a lot more I could mention, but what I know is this, we have a role to play in this community 
around building heaven, building paradise, building a more equitable world right here, right now. And we can not do that work. We cannot do that work unless we are grounded in a spiritual practice unless we come from a place that is anchored and grounded. If we don't have a spiritual practice that helps us grow our souls and put down deep roots and discover where love is moving amidst the grief and chaos and despair, then we cannot be the vessels of that deepest love and healing that this world so badly needs. If we do not have a spiritual practice, the heartbreak, the grief, the anger of the world will crush us. And if we, the individuals in the church, do not have a practice, then how can the church, which is made up of all of us individuals, how can the church then really be grounded and be an instrument of hope and justice? If this sounds right to you, how does this sound to you? So, so, some of you are thumbs up. If this sounds right to you, and I'm thinking it does for many of you, some of you may be not sure or uncertain, and I'm happy to talk with you later on. If this sounds right to you, I will listen deeply to you. If this sounds right to you, if you're thinking, I'm in, you're at the, visually at the poker table, you're pushing all your chips in, you're like, I'm all in, like I'm into this spiritual practice, the role of this church, I'm in, that's great. And I'm in there with you, but I want to call us back to that reading we had at the beginning of our service. And hear these words again. If we have any hope of transforming the world and changing ourselves, we must be bold enough to step into our discomfort. Bold enough to step into our discomfort. I'm not going to lie to you up here. Though spiritual practice is life-saving, it is often deeply uncomfortable. Deeply uncomfortable. And those of you who are just starting in our Wellspring program, the requirement for that program is a daily spiritual practice. And I've talked with you, and your experience ranges from, hey, this is exciting to, oh my goodness. This is awkward. This is uncomfortable. I don't know how to do this. I don't know what to do. I'm resistant to this. It can be hard and uncomfortable. And I want to share with you right now, in my own practice, I'm at a place of discomfort and challenge. I get up early almost every morning to write and to pray and to hold an issue or a question. Often I'll hold that in prayer to try to listen deeply to where love is calling me next in my life. Except right now, I'm not hearing love call me anywhere. There's just silence. I've been sitting with this particular question, this issue for weeks, and I've got nothing. I'm starting to think it'd be easier to get an extra 30 or 40 minutes of sleep every morning. (laughs) And in small ways, in small ways, I'm coming to resent and be resistant to my practice. Kate Braestrup, a colleague of mine, a Unitarian Universalist minister and author of Beginner's Grace, Bringing Prayer to Life, she writes about this resistance to spiritual practice. She says this, I begin with a bad attitude. (laughs) My body is restless, and doubt blooms vigorously in the fertile soil of my modern monkey mind. 
Oh yes, she goes on, oh yes, my doubt is shrilly suggesting a dozen more amusing and more productive activities I could engage in. And if I give that doubt a voice, here's what else I can imagine that doubt saying, what it says to me in my own practice at times. It says, this isn't going to help you. This isn't going to change anything. Go do something productive. Check Facebook. <laughs> right? Something more amusing and more productive. Well, Facebook is always there. Why spend time in practice? In her book, Kate shares that as she continues to engage in her practice, the monkey mind will often begin to slow, the anxiety and the doubt will dissipate. In those moments, she remembers that the point of practice is to practice. The point of practice is to practice. And I will share with you really briefly, as I was working on this sermon early this morning, about nine o'clock, a different question, <laughs> like, like just the final edits at nine o'clock. <laughs> like most of it was done, all right? Like, um, <laughs> sitting with this sermon and my own practice in this stuck place, and as I was reading that and sitting with it, um, this different question came to me. Like, I have a different question to go into my practice tomorrow morning with. I think it felt like, wow, that was the spirit, so ask this question. So something shifts, something changes. This came out of our conversation between services, too. It's like, ask a different question when you are in that practice time, because the point of practice is to practice, and you just do it. As Kate Braystrip says, we don't do a spiritual practice once or twice, and then say, ta-da, that's it. I've practiced, and the practice has paid off. I'm a fully conscious, totally grateful, and unstintingly generous person. That's not how it works, she reminds me, she reminds us. You practice so you can keep practicing even if you're not getting immediately what you want. You practice not to be perfect, but to practice. And that is hard, hard work. It's hard because it requires time and a kind of stillness. I am continually amazed how quickly 30 minutes can fly by as I scroll through Facebook or recheck my email, but when I think about spending 30 minutes in spiritual prayer or reflection, my monkey mind immediately starts dishing me this list of more productive and more amusing things I could do with my time. Right on. (laughs) Bad to the bone. I don't know if you guys heard that ringtone. (laughs) All right. All right now. (laughs) It is hard work engaging in a spiritual practice, and I think it is nearly impossible to maintain a spiritual practice by yourself because the power of resistance, the discomfort, and the doubt can be so strong. It's one of the reasons I meet monthly with a spiritual director. He listens to me talk through my practice and my life, and he provides the spiritual accountability and companioning that I need. When I go to my director and I'm frustrated with my practice, he might ask me something like, Justin, 
Can you trust God enough to put down your agenda and see what else might be there when you sit in your prayer life? Or he might ask, where is God? Where is that spirit of love in that big pile of frustration you have? And with his help and others, I return again and again to my practice, and something always shifts in me. I have a different question to ask now. As Kate Braestrup says, the goal of spiritual practice is to increase conscious awareness, to listen deeply to that source of love and peace, to empathize more deeply with those around us. The goal, ultimately, is to wake up, to wake up. And friends, as we awaken, we can become better instruments of love and healing in the world. So I am inviting you, all of you, I'm inviting all of you at this critical moment in the life of our church and in our world to cultivate your spiritual life and to join a community circle. These are formerly known as our small groups. To join a community circle or a practice circle or a care circle. Each of these circles, though they're different in nature, each of them have these core spiritual practices of deep listening and open-hearted reflection. You are with and are accountable to your other spiritual companions in these circles. There are community circles, as I said in the beginning, that are open to everyone. There are community circles that gather around a shared identity or season of life, such as mothers of young children or young professionals, longtime church members, and many others. There's a practice circle we have. The content, the topic of that practice circle is parents as spiritual guides, and Lauren Wyeth will be leading that circle. We have a care circle for individuals looking for connection and spiritual resources during a particularly intense time. We have a care circle for caregivers. All of these circles engage the practice of deep listening and open-hearted reflection. And I believe, as your spiritual leader, I believe that our participation as a church in these circles is critical as we move forward with our racial justice work, which will require deep listening, deep open-hearted conversations, deep engagement with a topic that is difficult. It will serve us well as we continue to partner with Augsburg Fairview Academy and with Habitat for Humanity as we listen to how those partnerships could evolve and deepen and expand. This practice will help us hold the heartbreak and the joy of this world And it will invite us to awaken and be vessels of a deep and abiding love. Friends, you may have tried a small group before in the past. And I want to invite you to try it again. Because with the Reverend Elaine Tenbrink on board, we have revamped and recharged this ministry. Trust me, this is worthy of your time and energy. And I invite you to move from the rows you're in right now into circles, from rows to circles. I invite you to know and be known by others as you deepen your spiritual life and listen to where love is calling you next. I invite you to engage in this circle practice of reflecting on your life, knowing that in doing so, you are doing something that our transcendentalist forebearers did years ago. Folks like Margaret Fuller and Henry David Thoreau and Ralph Waldo Emerson, when they gathered with others to lift up the content of their lives, to listen and reflect on love and gratitude, to grow their souls so they become instruments of healing. Remember, 
If you are in a practice circle or a community circle, you're not just doing this for yourself. You're doing this so this church has a strong foundation because all of us are engaging in a spiritual practice together. We are listening deeply together. When you join a circle, remember that you might feel some resistance, some discomfort, some clumsiness even as you engage in that circle practice. You may sit down for your first circle or your second circle and there'll be a little voice saying, hey, here's a list of 10 things how you could spend your time to be more amusing and more productive. And when that discomfort comes, may you be bold enough to step into it. May you be brave enough to be clumsy there and loving enough to forgive yourself and others. As we practice as a church body in these circles, may we all have the strength to be so bold, so brave, and so loving. May it be so. And amen.